It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, like why, go to WFYI.org and uh, msosi at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. In studio with me today, it is another edition where we mix film sociology with stage sociology. That's really okay because it's October in Indianapolis. Actually, it's October in Carmel, which means Bard Fest is happening very, very soon. And uh, we have a roundtable discussion with a lot of fun. So if we could verbally sign in and your appoint your appointment your job with Bardfest would be appreciated. Let's start over to my left which doesn't mean anything on radio. Um, I'm Casey Ross and I'm the artistic director for Bardfest the festival and I also directed Coriolanus at this year's festival. Very good. I'm Nan Macy and I play Volumnia who is Coriolanus's mother in Coriolanus. Mm-hmm. I'm Craig Kemp and I play the Earl of Gloucester in King Lear. Date plays, family plays for the whole family. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, very good. We appreciate you guys being here, and we'll uh, we'll talk to the, about the plays in a little bit. But uh, but first, um, I'm happy to say, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, grown up movie season is now upon us. There is, of course, the summer blockbuster season, and then we get through that lull of like August and September, where films just have to be released, so they just kind of <laughs> put them out. Oh, this has been on the shelf for two years. Let's just put it out now. And uh, we're now getting into quality stuff and stuff worth discussing. And uh, and so with that in mind, um, The Birth of a Nation has finally come to, uh, to Indianapolis. I got to see this on Tuesday evening. This is written and directed by uh, Nate Parker and starring Parker as Nat Turner, who, of course, led a very short-lived uh, slave rebellion in the American South. And uh, the results are kind of bloody and to the point, and it's it's been interesting to see. This is a film that the commercials, if you see them, there there are your standard trailers, and there is one TV trailer in particular. The ad campaign has been splicing scenes from the film with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so I, I'm going to borrow a phrase from my buddy Ed Johnson out over at Nuvo, who kind of coined the phrase, it's Braveheart if you're not a racist. <laughs> And and it is more of a sweeping epic, like Brave. It's okay to laugh. It's all right. It's NPR. <laughs> it's, it's NPR. Um, but it, but it is it is more of a sweeping epic, like Braveheart and Gladiator, and less like Django Unchained or and and yeah. There's probably it may, maybe it does or doesn't help that we already a lot of us have already experienced Twelve Years a Slave before this. Um, because prior to this, it was it was nothing but you know roots, and that's almost that's forty years ago since uh, we've hit this particular piece of American history and film. Um, once you get through the first, and and for those who don't know, Nat Turner was of course uh, uh, brought up in a white plantation, uh, was trained to be kind of trained to be a preacher. He was a a man of God, and then was sent from plantation to plantation to deliver sermons to the slaves, and then after a while. Things got to a, things came to a head, which led to this rebellion. I don't want to give away a whole whole lot, but um, Mr. Parker does a good job. Army Hammer plays his childhood friend, who was also his master, 
and uh, Hammer, who didn't you know, who's gotten better over the years. He he was interesting that he I really liked him in Social Network, and then he got a ridiculous amount of money to play a really stiff Lone Ranger, and <laughs> uh, and and worked with uh, Clint Eastwood and Leonardo DiCaprio and J Edgar, and. Uh, and if you go back to Ed's review in Nuvo, my buddy Ed, um, there is a thing there. It, it, be careful when you label Hammer's character as the nice slave owner, <laughs> because it's eh, the more like the least sadistic of the slave owners at that time of that master. And uh, you see an arc with his character a little easier than, say, Jackie Earl Haley, who's kind of your kind of go-to off-the-bench creepy guy who plays a slave uh, trapper and uh, man of law, and things don't things do not end well with him. It is a hard film to watch at times, and like I said, the second half of the film, when the rebellion begins, it is violent, it is brutal, but it is so, it does also have a sweeping cinematic feel to it. Um, that being said, it's it's um, it's really good. I don't think it's great, and I know the the audience that saw it with me uh, particularly really enjoyed it. Um, you know, was angered at the right moments and cheered at the right moments. But then again, I think cheering during a a revenge film it's like it's like seeing. Uh, it was like when I saw Taxi Driver and people were cheering for De Niro when he has his mohawk for the first time, or he's doing the scene in the mirror, like I don't know if I want to hang out with you guys. <laughs> It was uh, I, I full disclosure. I just got done doing a production of A Few Good Men over at Richmond Civic, and there was one particular audience that cheered when Jessup screamed, "You can't handle the truth!" Mm. And on <laughs> yeah, because on stage I'm like, "You're cheering that it's a famous line, right? Not cheering for Jessup yelling at Cap." Okay, just making sure. This is we're all good. We're all on the same plane. I here. was once in a production of The Foreigner where the KKK got a cheer when they entered the stage. Talk about uncomfortable. Were you moments. at Martinsville Community Playhouse? For I that? was not. Um, I was. I was no, at New the Pal? Shawnee, um, oh, all the way down in Greene County. Yeah, so very, very southern Indiana. And who'd, <laughs> who'd you who'd you play? I was one of the Klansmen. Uh, I was actually like a backstage assistant, a, so I just got to come in. And oh, I'm sorry, a Klans, Klans person. A Klans person. I my I had just graduated from Ball State, and we did that in Summerstock. And Gil Bloom, a man I loved dearly, who had directed me in Twin Men Me, I had a lot of fun. And he came up to me and asked me if I would. And I'd forgotten about those characters. He asked me if I would be. He, he said, "I need you. I, would you be in, in the show as an extra?" I went, "Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're one of the townsfolk." Uh, that's a nice way to put it. The right, townsfolk. the townsfolk. Yeah, I, I, oops, and uh, <laughs> it was great because I, I started my college acting career as a Jew in ghetto, and then ended with that. <laughs> It's all in the timing, really. But but the problem was, if you see the pictures, and I don't recommend you go looking for these online. They're in the Ball State archives. Every other townsfolk is a foot taller than me. That was like, very much my situation as well. I got your back, sister. <laughs> we, we look like we're standing in a hole. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Nat Turner, yeah. Uh, the Birth of a Nation. And, yes, he's taking the name from an old D.W. Griffith story. But, anyway, it is it is not for the squeamish unless you're into epics. But uh, and at the very least, this is a piece of history that um, hopefully will make you you see this, and hopefully you want to learn more about it than just the film itself. And and apparently, without getting into it too much, Mr. Parker has probably joined that league of people that do, can you separate the artist from the art based on uh, something that happened to him when he was in college. I'm just going to leave it at that. If you want to find out more, go look up. Go look it up. But he is in that now league. I think of. Uh, can you watch Roman Polanski and Woody Allen films as well? Cliffhanger. All right. Uh, that being said, so as, as enjoy that as much as you can. Uh, something that's also opening in theaters this week by a polar another polarizing uh, filmmaker. Not not that like that. Not like <laughs> Mr. Parker, but it's a uh, it's called Voyage of Time, and it's the uh, the latest latest film from Terrence Malick, who's given us everything as short as Badlands and Days of Heaven to things long drawn out like Theory of Life, Night of Cups, Thin Red Line, The New World. Um, this is being shown at the IMAX Theater downtown. I got to see it earlier this week, and I highly recommend the bigger the screen, the better, and IMAX is a pretty good one. If, uh, if you saw Tree of Life, the middle section, the middle section that made a lot of people scratch their heads, um, where he's going through basically the history of the world, not part one, and uh, showing how everything has evolved from the beginning of time to the moment with the family in the 50s. That middle moment, a lot of great visuals, a lot of somber voiceover narration from Brad Pitt. Um, it's about 40 minutes. So those who hate Terrence Malick, this is at least shorter. 
and visually pretty stunning. Um, there's only a couple of moments that kind of distract me because I, I, there's a scene where we get the early incarnations of dinosaurs, and there's a part of it early on where it looks like it has no CG. He's just that great a cinematographer as far as capturing landscape and sky and land. And then we kind of get this CG beast that's thrown in, and it throws you a little bit, but not enough to, you know, not enough to not enjoy the experience. Again, it's short. Um, apparently, there is a 90-minute version of this that's going to be released later this year with uh, narration by Kate Blanchett. So anyway, that is out there. But it's again, dinner show, boom. Um, so that is, those are the films that are opening this weekend we're checking out. Uh, I want to go to the drive-ins because I love the fact that we still have drive-ins in Indiana, for one, and it's October and they're still open. <laughs> so uh, over at the Tibbs drive-in, actually, I, I bring this up to my panel, especially the new ones. Um, the last time you were at a drive-in, and have you ever been to a drive-in with a really odd double pairing? And I bring this up because um, a few because sometimes you wonder how did these two films get together. Sometimes it's a studio. Sometimes it's a genre. Maybe you're hoping the kids fall asleep after the first feature to get to the second feature. I I remember in it was probably 1981 when uh, the Dudley Moore film Arthur came out and they they teamed it with Ten, which is well you're hoping <laughs> the kids fall asleep by that line. I was 11. I did not. Hi, Bo Derek. Um, but anyway, films films like that. And also the fact that back then you could have an older title as the second feature as opposed to what we're about ready to hear. Anyway, with that in mind, over at the Tibbs Drive-In, on one screen we have Storks, the PG uh, animated film about said animals, <laughs> followed by uh, Miss, Pe- Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Hey, it's a, it's a film by Tim Burton, not with Johnny Depp. Um, so I guess... Young adult, maybe, I guess. Um, screen two, Deepwater Horizon. That's, of course, the Mark Wahlberg. Uh, it's, it's an Irwin Allen film, only shorter and better. And uh, Heller High Water, one of the better films to come out this year, the crime drama with Jeff Bridges and Chris Pine. Screen three, The Girl on a Train, Emily Blunt doing a, a version of Gone Girl. So what we've heard, along with Bridget Jones's Baby. Wow. <laughs> That's a weird... Date double feature. Okay, moving on. And then finally on screen four, the remake of The Magnificent Seven along with Blair Witch. Sure. <laughs> okay. Over at the Skyline in Shelbyville, this is worth this is worth the drive. They're doing this this weekend. Um 7.45 p.m. The original 1960 Hitchcock film Psycho. Followed by 1963's The Birds. And then at 1 a, oh, 11.45 on the 8th only from 1970, the Italian, uh, the Italian thriller The Bird with the Crystal Plumage with uh, Tony Mustaine, Susie Kendall, and Enrico Maria Salerno. So there's a nice little curveball there. And then over at Keystone Arts, this, of course, depends on what time you're listening to the show. If you're listening on Saturday or Sunday or Monday, I can't help you. Uh, but this weekend at the Keystone Arts is a part of their Midnight Movie Series tonight and tomorrow night at midnight, the 1970s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's right. With Donald Sutherland, some, I, uh, Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, uh, Leonard Nimoy, directed by Philip Kaufman. Great final image. I, I know somebody on Facebook who has that image tattooed on them. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, Friday and Saturday, the 14th and 15th of October, the original Carrie. Not a film to take your high school daughter to. I haven't. Um, October 21st and 22nd, Night of the Creeps. And then October 28th and 29th, the original 1978 Halloween, directed by John Carpenter. Okay, guys, um, last time you went to the drive-in. So I am this person. I have never been. I was invited once when I was a kid to a party, and I got deathly ill and did not get to go. And I think it was showing some some Disney movie. I can't remember which one. Um, but, yeah, I've never been. You need to fix that. I, I want to fix it's that. It's a dying art. Yeah. Okay, very good. <laughs> I think the last time that I was at a drive-in was when I saw M.A.S.H., when it originally was... In 1970? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember what it was teamed up with? Catch-22, Patton. Not a clue. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's okay. Greg? I've not uh, been to a drive-in in this country, but 
36 years ago, I went to a drive-in in Johannesburg in South Africa. I was with relatives. I cannot remember the movie we actually saw, but we could see part of uh, one of the other screens that was showing Alien at the time. Ooh, the, ori- the, the first ri- one. Yes. Uh, oh, man, the Ridley Scott one. <laughs> yes, I was only catching parts of it, and my uncle was... Uh, Spoiling, <laughs> spoiling the ending for me. But, also uh, known as John Hurt's indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cool. All right. Well, that's that. So anyway, th- those are going. And then over at IU Cinema, to, again, depending on when you're listening to this show, at um, 3 o'clock on Saturday the 8th, uh, at 3 p.m., the Dark Carnival Shorts Retrospective, followed by at 7 p.m. on Saturday the 8th, the 2011 horror film The Taint. That's just a title. I'm moving on. Um, Sunday the 9th. Don't look at me. Sunday the 9th at 3 p.m. The 2012 is a part of the East Asian film series, an Asian version of Dangerous Liaisons, followed by at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday the 9th, The President's Choice, the Peter Weir drama, The Year of Living Dangerously, with Mel Gibson, Sigourney Weaver, and an Academy Award performance from Linda Hunt. Uh, Monday the 10th, the Deborah Riley Draper uh, lecture at 3 o'clock, followed by at 7 p.m., uh, Versailles 1973, American Runway Revolution. Tuesday the 11th, Olympic Pride, American Prejudice from 2016. Thursday the 13th at 7 o'clock at IU Cinema in 3D from 1954, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Friday the 14th at 7 o'clock. Now, here's a – oh, that's a weird double – it's not a double feature, I should say. But um, Friday the 14th at 7 o'clock from 1953, also in 3D, the original House of Wax with Vincent Price. And then at midnight – I've seen that. You have seen that. Oh, really? (laughs) In the UK. I did not – I have not seen that in 3D. And this is one where it was – I mean, there was something as overt as um, a paddle ball – being yes, done I into the that. screen. Yeah, totally gratuitous. Yeah, exactly. And then there's stuff like, you know, Charles Bronson's head and Vincent <laughs> Price vamping. It's fun in 3D. So, um, And then at midnight on October the 14th from 1974, John Borman's Zardoz. Oh, yeah. Zardoz. Zardoz has <laughs> spoken. Yeah. Yes. Um, a very s- just this, yeah. <laughs> you just saw that? Yeah. You okay? Yeah, it's good and fresh. <laughs> it's yeah, it it kind of so so the backstory on this first off, Zardoz has spoken, of course, are the closing words in this show. Um, it's it's John Borman's because of the success of Deliverance. John Borman got to make this film with that, which has Sean Connery with a ponytail wig and a loincloth. And he's running around with guns. And, of course, as, as we know, because it's a quote from the film, the gun is good, the penis is evil. Charlotte Rampling, which I think started my uh, my uh, infatuation with husky voice ladies. Um, she's in the team photo. But, uh, but it is just this bizarre futuristic film. Um, and I need to listen to the commentary track again to hear Mr. Borman try to explain himself. <laughs> But it was the 70s, and a lot of things were made um, on a whim and, and lines on a table. So anyway, but but John Borman's going to be at IU later this month. Um, I believe he is going to be in town to discuss – ah, the lecture is going to be Friday, October 28th. And because of that, they're celebrating some of his – they're starting with Zardoz. That's hilarious. <laughs> but then we're going to go to um, Sunday, October 23rd at 6.30 p.m., Excalibur. Salute to Helen Mirren. Um, Thursday the 27th, a double feature of Point Blank, one of my all-time favorite revenge films. Take that, Mel Gibson. Uh, Lee Marvin, Angie Dickinson, John Vernon, 1972, Deliverance. Yes, it's you don't have to be on radio and we'd be with Bob and Tom to discuss Deliverance. It's a legit film, not a punchline. And then the lecture with John Borman is Friday the 28th at 3 p.m., followed by a double feature of 6.30 p.m., Hope and Glory, as well as Queen and Country at 9.30. And then his film, The General, from 1998 at 3 o'clock on Saturday the 29th. So anyway, plenty of films out there if you head down to IU and uh, a good reason to check out John Borman. All right. Um, I got one film I'd like to discuss as far as new titles on DVD and Blu-ray. There's one old title, and then we'll talk about Bardfest because you guys have been very patient. I appreciate it. Um, 
No, I didn't watch X-Men Apocalypse. No, I didn't watch Purge Election Year. I've been watching the debates. That's enough. But um, there is a fascinating film. It's and It's a bizarre one, but it's worth checking out called Swiss Army Man. It's basically a two-person film with Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Dano is stuck on a deserted island. He's about ready to hang himself, and a body washes up, played by Daniel Radcliffe. And it turns out he's he's not, to borrow a term from another film, he's not quite dead. Um, but he is used as said title when it comes to shooting water out of his mouth and extreme flatulence and extreme... How should I put this? Um, pants poking? Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a scene, if you see in the trailer, that uh, Dano's character rides Radcliffe's character like a jet ski. And it's just an odd survival story that – and a friendship that develops between this not-quite-dead body and this man who's – so it's like Castaway meets Hell in the Pacific with maybe a little weekend at Bernie's. This is why I'm not allowed to pitch things at uh, studios. But <laughs> but when you have two really good actors like Radcliffe and Dano, um, they have some nice chemistry together. And if you just kind of turn your brain off and go with it, especially the scenes like riding with a jet ski and <laughs> and him Dano's character having to explain the Radcliffe's character about love and yearning and what's going on down south. Um, it's a really sweet film. It's a bizarre film, but it's a sweet film nonetheless. And then uh, as a part of the film of the move uh, film movement company, which is the movie of the month club. And this is a company that you order films and screeners, and uh, you can get a lot of new avant-garde foreign films. And occasionally they dip into the archives. And uh, recently I got to see the 1992 Swedish drama The Best Intentions. And this is a film that was written by Ingmar Bergman, but directed by Billy August, who gave us things like Pell the Conqueror, the non-musical version of uh, Les Miserables. And uh, House of the Spirits, this film that had no Latin actors in it whatsoever. But uh, but this is set in the early 20th century. It looks a little like Fanny and Alexander, the Bergman film, only shorter and not as cold. And that's in tone and temperature. Uh, but it's a story about a, uh, a a young man who is a, a parish minister in the in the making and training, and he meets a woman from a wealthy family. Of course, Max von Sydow plays the patriarch because it's a Swedish film in the 90s. And um, if you imagine brighter colors and a warmer palette, but um, surrounding the, Mr. Bergman's words, um, usually uh, he play he, a lot of cold, distant characters. If you think of films like Persona and Autumn Sonata, um, it's a little warmer than that. It is almost three hours, and it does have that kind of epic family feel to it. You know, like Far from the Matting Crowd, only more north, and not a triangle, but a family. Outing. Anyway, you get the idea. Anyway, that is that is happening uh, as far as the film movement. All right, shifting gears. How are things at Bardfest this year? Um, they're really good. We are um, same three companies are back this year. So we have First Folio with King Lear and my company that was CRP Casey Ross Productions recently switched to Catalyst Repertory. We're doing Coriolanus, and then Garfield is uh, bringing the comedy and the romance with Twelfth Night. Say how now? Say, do you guys meet? Do the companies meet as far as what the three shows are going to be for the festival, or do you just lay your cards out on the table and say, "This is it"? Um, this is our second year. Our first year, we didn't really meet and discuss. It was just an idea. Glenn approached the companies and asked us if we might have an interest in doing a Shakespeare play, and we all, luckily, had just picked something very, very different um, this year. We did have a postmortem um, at the end of our first year, and the shows were selected fairly early on so that we knew we had a balanced festival. We have a drama, a comedy, and something kind of out there. So, And how are things out there? Um, I've, I've developed Coriolanus into kind of a post-apocalyptic, post-bomb rock and roll world so are you it, using the who in this i am not using the who this is one of my only sound designs with no who so all right all right yeah so that means that means you don't have to run, roll around in baked beans that's a tommy reference you're welcome ken russell well ken russell's tommy anyway yes. so, say uh because of course cory lannis is probably is the one that probably folks know the least but talk a little tell us a little bit about the story for those who uh who fell asleep during that part of class. <laughs> okay. Um, young Roman general Coriolanus, um, very, very well-to-do in the wars, not so very well-to-do in public speaking, has uh, returned home to Rome, 
there's a, a grain shortage. The poor people are rioting, revolting, claiming that the— You're right. They stink on ice. Sorry. That's, yeah. That's easy. <laughs> Um, yeah, but claiming that the uh, upper class will not allocate grain properly to the poorer class. And once Coriolanus returns home from wars, his mother encourages him to run for public office. And that does not go well because he has very verbal and open disdain for the rioting poor class. So, so. it's kind of like if Bush actually went to and did military training. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, good. A bit. Way to go, Mom <laughs> Macbeth. Jeez. Cool. Mother of the Year. <laughs> well, you, you also have Father of the Year with, with this festival as well. Yes. So that's 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 a fun family <laughs> outing, I should say. So so how are how are things approaching with this? This is your first time with Coriolanus. Absolutely, it's my first time with Bard Fest, mm-hmm. and it's been a wonderful experience. These are uh, such talented and uh, dedicated people. Coriolanus, I have always heard, was terrible. Oh, Coriolanus. It's actually wonderful. It's fascinating. It's uh, Casey can talk more fully about this, but it is, to my knowledge, the only time Shakespeare actually delves into the psychological uh, manipulations of his characters. I play a woman who has basically manipulated her son his whole life. He is the product of her ambition. She would actually have preferred to be a warrior, to be the one out there killing people, but she can't. So she sends this surrogate, poor uh, Martius, her son. So when do you star in Gypsy? Oh, yeah. As soon as anyone will let me. <laughs> there is a little gypsy in that story Just, in there. Yes, there is. <laughs> Got to have a gimmick one way or another. Yeah, yeah. We won't talk about those squirrels. Anyway, cool. Very yeah, good. It's, it, it is Lady Macbeth on steroids. Say, there's if you get a chance, there's a thing on YouTube. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but somebody did create the Real Housewives of Shakespeare. Mm. Oh, and that's a very that's interesting. Yeah, and it, it is uh, uh, Lady M. Oh, I weren't. I'm not in the theater. Lady Macbeth, get over it. Um, Lady Macbeth, Juliet, Gertrude, Goneril, <laughs> and Titania. Yeah, it's fun. Bravo. <laughs> that's something Bravo should actually work on. So anyway, but anyway, that's out there as well as uh, Shakespeare characters reading mean tweets. That would be funny. <laughs> These are your things at work. So, Craig, you're the you're you're the of course the representative for for dads for dad's show. How is how is the the approach with this production? This production's probably more traditional in approach than than uh, Coriolanus, um, and um, we're just uh, trying to draw out the the dramatic elements. And it, it's a tragedy, so um, you know there, there are. Very dramatic moments. There's, uh, there will be blood. <laughs> Paul um, Thomas Anderson? No, wait. <laughs> I think yeah, there so will be blood is a great hashtag for Bardfest in general this year. That's actually pro- not bad. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the ad campaign looking good. <laughs> well, I don't think there's as much blood in King Lear as there will be in Coriolanus, from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make a mess. We need our full thirty minutes of cleanup time. <laughs> Wow. Now, I know, yeah, I, I, I think because uh, Richmond Shakespeare just did Comedy of Errors and King Lear. And uh, the eyeballs, eyeballs are squishy. Um, bloody grapes is probably one way of, of, of putting that aspect to it. Vile jelly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, there was a lot, I would say, how much stage blood do you guys have for the festival this year? Oh, man. Well, I'm actually going to buy ours after this, and I am planning on getting three gallons because. Um, I kill characters that weren't even scripted to be killed. So, just I went to I went to town. (laughs) Just because I could. These amazing knife fights and sword fights, and people get gashed, and (laughs) they're well. There's a lot of blood, brutal fighting. (laughs) Yeah, we did we did Titus last summer, and that was well. It's a it's a minty taste. At least the stuff that we worked with it it helped because there was there was we we wound up doing some blood test. 
But there was Tessa as far as how blood looked on costumes, on the set, and then for the few folks that actually had to eat, like Lavinia, uh, Saturninus, and Tamara, we also had to see how it tasted. Um, Mm. What we learned the hard way, if you're going to have stage blood, it must be consumed. Even if you put it in a pastry, it dries. It it basically absorbs. Mm -hmm. So you don't get the bite and you expect it to drip down your face. That never happens. So, but yeah, you'll you'll find out the fun way. <laughs> we did a, a fringe show in 2015 where we cut out a character's heart and took a bite out of it, and it was a very campy horror musical. And what did you use for a heart? We had a bell pepper filled with Jello and stage blood that was edible, and it was gross and disgusting, but. Adam Tran played the guy who had to eat the heart on of stage. Of course he did. And, and he committed, and the whole front row was a splash zone. They were covered in jello by the end of the show. Pepper and jello. That's Ugh. a bad That's a bad. And buffet. he even had like a preference of what flavor of jello inside of the pepper. Oh, we, it wasn't red? Uh, it was red, but I mean, we went through cherry, strawberry, and then black cherry. Black cherry apparently is what's up with red bell pepper. I think so. I'm seeing him at Invasion of the Body Snatchers this weekend. I'll have to bring that up to him. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, ask him about the, the pepper. Pepper taste. I'm yep. sure he'll. Did still he eat remember. the whole thing? Or just um, take a one bite night he got pretty far into it. It was supposed to just be like one bite, ha 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 ha, you know, evil laugh, fade to black. But he last night just, he really owned it. <laughs> just gnawed on it. So, <laughs> what's the oddest thing you folks have ever had to consume on stage? Oh my Man. Gosh. I didn't have to consume it, but the the pepper jello is pretty. That, odd yeah, that's to hard see. to top. That, that's yeah. pretty. That's that's up on the yeah. That's in the sh- the show buffet right there. <laughs> I'm I have been very fortunate in that I have, <laughs> you've not had to eat. I don't have to eat or drink very often because I try to avoid doing that on stage. Mm-hmm. I can think of an occasion. It was a um, I can't even think of the name of the show, but it was uh, it was just finger food at a table and pretzels and things like that and somebody played a trick and put uh, hot sauce on the pretzels wow what a jerk (laughs) everybody's favorite cast member there's that that. yeah that guy (laughs) that person thanks a lot yeah somebody did that i was doing a show at comedy sports where i played an alcoholic guardian angel woody Rao wrote it and uh yeah i know but but there was i had a coffee cup that normally had water in it but word got around that it was going to be peppermint schnapps for the last night. Now, first off, that stuff you can smell a mile away. So the shock factor was not there because I was prepping for that. I also hope that was the last five minutes of the play. But, uh, but yeah, that's fun. I remember uh, we did uh, Over the River and Through the Woods, and it was supposed to be veal. But the stage was so far away from the audience, they just made it wheat bread. <laughs> that's not fun. So, <laughs> anyway, uh is this your first time working with uh, with uh, King Lear? It is, yes. We say, I say, I guess I want to start with what was your experience with King Lear, whether as an audience member or as an actor, before working on this production? I'd never seen a live production. I'd seen a couple of uh, TV productions, a BBC one from the eighties. Um, that was about it, I'd say. Hmm. And how were those for you? Uh, well, it was the BBC. It was excellent, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 1969 BBC film version of Midsummer. I'd like to show you sometime. I think no. the, the, I, I, because I wasn't so familiar with the plot, I was kind of shocked at the eye gouging situation. Yeah, that's a little harsh. Although I mean, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying having it uh, being being the one having his eyes gouged out. <laughs> I say what and, and what are they using? Obviously, they're using a cloth afterwards. Are you able to see? No, I'm I'm not facing the audience, but we're using ah capsules. To no, I know that for the for as far as for the gouging itself. Okay, right, yeah. yeah. And say so what from from then on? I mean, what are you what are you covering your eyes with? Oh, just a, a blindfold with uh, the uh, appropriately placed uh, blood stains. Oh, okay, <laughs> but you're able to move around, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, sounded very sure. Yeah. The show hasn't opened yet. It's all right. It's okay. Well, we don't really have many uh, set pieces, so there's not too much to trip over. So mm. Right. It yeah. should be good. Okay. Fingers crossed there. We like that. So, And what I say, what about, is it, uh, did you read Coriolanus? Have you, had you read Coriolanus before working Never. on this? Never. Never. Ooh. Um, and avoided it like the plague because of its reputation. Of, and 
now I discover it's wonderful. Um, it has it, it's a it's a modern play in its outlook. It is also in parts incredibly funny, um, and Casey has done a really good job of bringing out the humor. <laughs> you got to in yeah. in between yeah. the stabbings yeah. and the dead bodies in the blood. It's a laugh riot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Around all that. Around all that. And the characters are, uh, as I say, much more modern in their outlook. Mm -hmm. This is why we're still doing these plays hundreds and hundreds of years later. Yeah. And particularly, I say, what what made you pick this show, especially now? Uh, yeah, I'm going to bring it up. It's an election year. Um, that actually, we picked it before that was becoming very prevalent that we were going to be oddly applicable. Um, I actually picked it because my managing director, Taylor, who was playing Coriolanus, it's his favorite of the Shakespeare lexicon. Really? And so starting early on with Bardfest 1 from like Timon of Athens to now, he has been begging me to do Coriolanus. And like, like Nan, I had never read it. I avoided it. I got two acts into it and I told him absolutely not it's like jargon about corn I'm I'm not gonna do this play <laughs> and then upon my second read I was like no there's a lot here and this could be really cool and really appropriate so I picked it to please my, my business partner and also it was oddly applicable and how much corn do you use I I actually, um, not to give too much away about the story, but there's a Roman tradition where you have to basically shame yourself for the people to see your battle scars and, and wear the, the clothes of humility. Mm -hmm. And we have made his crown out of grains and different corn husks, so it's, it's extra shameful because it's a really ridiculous hat. Nice. So, not too much corn used in the actual production. Enough for a hat. I say, if if this were a decade ago at Butler, I love John Green, but it would it would just be you would be ankle deep in corn, <laughs> just corn, it, you know, corn or for days. yeah, kind of. There was because uh, I, I remember he did, he brought out he directed a production of Hamlet that he brought in dirt. I mean, ankle deep of dirt. And then they kept the dirt because my wife was directing Good Woman of Szechuan right afterwards. So he liked to have the elements. He liked to have earth, wind, and fire <laughs> and members of earth, wind, and fire in there. So, But, uh, but yeah, lots of corn. Very good. Um, I, I was curious. Have you seen the film version of Coriolanus? Because that I came have. out a couple of years ago, directed by Ray Fiennes, mm -hmm. also starring in it. Yeah, I, I actually did not like the movie. What, um, what, what was it about it that you weren't crazy about? I did didn't like Fines. I didn't like his Coriolanus. I thought he was a little boxy and stagnant. Um, he tended to, for me, just tended to mumble or yell. There wasn't really a middle ground. Um, I just, I wasn't sympathetic with him because, I, I don't know, his humanity wasn't really as open and youthful, I guess, as I read the character. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I think it read more political and and battle-based to me than the story and the subtext of the characters, which directorially that interests me more. Mm -hmm. So I just I wasn't really a huge fan of his portrayal of Coriolanus. I'll give the one thing about the film. It was actually something where Gerard Butler looked like he cared. Yeah. So, you know, oh, I there. thought he was fantastic as Alphidius. I just wasn't too into Coriolanus. Fair enough. And, a, and a, also a very ugly night fight. But you'll see an ugly night fight at the end. What are, what are the dates for the fest? Uh, it runs the 13th through the 30th. Uh, three weekends, Thursdays through Sundays with the shows. And there's going to be some days for double features? Yes. Um, Saturdays and Sundays we will be doing um, 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. And then there is a day where you can see all three shows on the 29th. Oh, God. What order? Twelfth Night. Oh, good. Lear, then Coriolanus. And then curl up in a we, fetal position yeah, afterwards. Yeah, we, we build you up with the blood. Jeez. Start it off light and then feel like crap by the end of your night. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, a little advice from film sociology. Um, when you get home from that, go watch Archer or Bob's Burger, <laughs> something to cleanse your palate right afterwards. <laughs> Even Tommy for crying out loud. Jeez. Um, I would say, and and are because of the double and triple features, um, the running times are about the same. Because I wondered about also the cutting of of these particular shows. We, I know you can only speak for the one, but 
we try just as a festival we try to keep them three hours and under so they are all cut a little bit i know that 12th night obviously being comedy is going to be the shortest um i believe lyra is the longest um and then we're kind of just sitting in the middle but they're all pretty okay. hefty running times you're looking at about two and a half hours it's shakespeare <laughs> ladies and gentlemen you will get your money's worth so that's checking out and then the website is um, you can find us on Facebook at just backslash Bardfest Indie, and then there is a Wix site that is just uncannycasey.wix.com slash Bardfest. Very cool. Craig, do you know um, Kurosawa's Ron? Akira Kurosawa's film Ron? No, I don't. I will have to, well, I'll write that down. It's basically, it's his version of King Lear. Done in 1985, and it's a it's an it's an aging samurai warrior, and this time he's he's dispensing his land amongst his three sons because okay. it, it is Japan. So there's that because uh, he did do Kurosawa did um, his, film history time, folks. Um, there's three films that Kurosawa did that have elements of Shakespeare to it. There was The Bad Sleep Well, which was set in the modern corporate world, kind of his Hamlet, and then Throne of Blood, which is his Macbeth and Shira Mufuni, all kinds of badassery in that and then Ron which was the first Kurosawa film I got to see in the theater when I was 15 and just big sweeping epic and you know and it helped me it it got me to read King Lear so at the very least I always give the film credit for that so okay um I want to shift gears just a little bit and I know you guys have been busy but have you been able to watch anything cinematically lately just opening it up for anybody Zootopia. With by yourself or with kids? Um, with with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I I like uh, animation. I'm a huge animation nerd, so I always try to see the new cartoons. And I hadn't seen it yet. Came out on Netflix. Thought it was really cute. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, well I confess that uh, Saturday night date night at our house is cheap horror films. Ooh, such as? <laughs> the last one we watched was Me and Me Mates versus the Zombie Apocalypse, which wow. <laughs> is a brilliant Australian zombie oh. film. My husband likes zombies. Is, I is like there, vampires. Is there such a thing? No. There is indeed. Okay, all right. Very <laughs> Check it out, Me and My Mates versus the Zombie Apocalypse. It's hilarious. And there's there's a documentary called Not Quite Hollywood, which is about the uh, Australian exploitation films, the history of that. So mm-hmm. maybe it'll be in the sequel. Maybe. Okay. Great. Well, the last, I had to rack my brains. I think the last movie I watched was uh, Rear Window, because I hadn't seen that. Hitchcock. Yes. Very good. See, the beauty of it is the film is always there for you. Yes. You enjoy it? Oh, yes. I, but a lot of these old films, especially Hitchcock films, I especially enjoy the uh, the the special features that come with the DVD, yes. the documentaries, and uh, the insight into the and the background. And so it's, it's very much interesting. Classier than our selections. <laughs> oh, You're you have special sure. features well, on yours, oh, I'm well, sure. But wait, but wait! <laughs> I just purchased a copy of this. Silly British movie from the sixties uh, from the Carry On series. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with that. Oh, yes, which one? Carry On Screaming, which is my absolute favorite because it's a parody of of Hammer horror movies. Mm-hmm. So I haven't. I watched a little, little bit of it yesterday, but I'm saving it up for a special occasion. Is is there anybody from the horror can from the Hammer canon making a cameo in that one? No, not that I. Can oh, that's too bad. Of. That's too bad. Ingrid Pitt wasn't available? No. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look her up, folks. No Peter anyway. Cushing, no... Oh, that's Peter a shame. Bay, that, no, those... Because, yeah, I, I, uh, I've seen a couple of the carry-on films, and um, cocktails would be nice uh, for some of those, but but I think a combination of that and and the Hammer uh, s- spoof would be would be a lot of fun. Um, exactly right. I mean, there's kind of a British institution, at least those of my <clears throat> generation... <laughs> Probably well, not so much for the you know millennials. Well, I, I will ask you: Have you ever experienced summer holiday? Summer holiday. The Cliff Richard musical. Oh, oh yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I will defend that film because there are a couple things. It's it's a uh, for those uh, Cliff Richard was kind of the the English Elvis, um, it, and this came out in '60 because he did a film called The Young Ones. 
not the TV series. That's where the title comes from, Sky Point. Uh, but then there was, uh, because of the success of The Young Ones, and it was, you know, uh, Robert Morley. I, first off, I love the cinematic gene pool. You have you have Cliff Richard, and his dad is played by Robert Morley. I want to know what mom looks like because that's <laughs> that's really weird. But uh, dad's dad's going to tear down the community center, so the kids put on a show, um, Judy and Mickey style. And then the success of that led to Summer Holiday, which is is Cliff and his friends that are building a double decker bus to take from London to Athens. We won't. We'll forget the channel sequence. You know, going across. That's that's not important. But but it 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 feels like the Frankie and Annette movies. This was before A Hard Day's Night. This was when Elvis was doing the same film three times a year, and <laughs> and it's 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 just a lightweight, frothy. There's a couple scenes that you couldn't get away with today. But the 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 film is directed by Peter Yates, who would later direct Bullet and Breaking Away, among others, and it's choreography by Herb Ross who would later direct um, The Goodbye Girl and, of course, was a famed choreographer and did a few... Steel Magnolias was another film he did as a director. So it wasn't just kids twisting at a discotheque for 90 minutes. There was some actual <laughs> dancing in this. Uni Stubbs is in it. Sky, you know, big shout-out to the to the gang at Sherlock. And it's just a light, frothy musical, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and he, he wound up doing a couple other films after that, but Summer Holiday is just... And, and, and at the very least, Cliff Richard's backed up by The Shadows, and I love rock mm-hmm. instrumentals from the 50s and 60s, so that's all to it. Um, anyway, um, I, I, it was funny. You, you brought up Hammer. I, um, Mrs. Sosie, one of the most patient ladies on earth, um, <laughs> when we were courting, there was, I, I think it was TCM was doing a Hammer marathon. It was, you know, anything with Christopher Lee between 1966 and 1973. And she finally said, are, are they, do they just use the same actors in the same castle? I went, probably. You know, you have you have your standard characters. You have you have either Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing, and if you can't get Ingrid Pitt, you find somebody else cheaper and just as busty. And then you have <laughs> the male ingenue, stiff dope who doesn't do it. The Jonathan Harker character, and and then and that was it. And uh, yeah, it was fun hearing the woman with the master's degree in fine arts breaking down the the uh, the thespian knowledge of of the Hammer stuff. So anyway, my wife often. Asks me if there were only ten act- British actors in that time. All the <laughs> movies we watch from that time seem to have the same people. A, a tight, yeah, a tight pool of players. Yes. Not, not, a, not a bad thing to have at that time. So, okay, um, I want to shift gears a little bit. I, I said earlier, um, so hopefully you did some homework. It's, there's no quiz. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. But, but in the Onion, um, the the one of the official uh, source news sources here at Film Sociology, they had a thing called uh, Ask the AV Club on Fridays, and the question they did a couple weeks ago was name a name your biggest pop culture bait and switch. Now the example I used is um, if you saw the trailers for the film uh, Marley and Me. This is the one with Jennifer Aniston and Owen Owen Wilson and a cute dog, and it feels like a Beethoven-esque story. And I'm, it's not really a spoiler alert. I don't care. But the dog dies at the end. Dog dies. Mom has breast cancer, and they kind of leave that out of the ad campaign at all. And there's there's, there's like a poster of a puppy with a ribbon around its neck, and I thought, what? Some kids are going to be pretty pretty damn traumatized watching this. So th- some of the writers wrote on some of their examples. I want to see if there was anything that happened as far as a a trailer or an ad campaign that really threw you off. Um, Somebody wrote about, uh, one of the writers wrote about uh, the Guillermo del Toro film Crimson Peak, which looks like, you're smiling over there, Katie. (laughs) Del Toro movies are always... You should know going in who... Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It's kind of like Ken Russell. You just... Just expect that it's going to be odd. Right. And and that one, this is... um, uh, Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain, and it looks like a horror film because this is the guy that did Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy, and it's more of a gothic romance no- uh, novel put the film, but it's still pretty good. I, I enjoyed it nonetheless. Um, somebody wrote about Eric the Viking because it was directed by Terry Jones. Does not make it a Monty Python film. Um, From Dusk Till Dawn, if you saw that, the first half of the film is completely different from the second half of the film, directed by uh, Robert Rodriguez with Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney. Yes, it's a brilliant classic. <laughs> you didn't see, but that first time seeing it for the first time with an audience, uh, when it makes the shift, it's a twenty-year-old film, but yeah. it goes from crime, kind of grungy crime drama, to scary to vampire vampires, chaos. 
in a heartbeat. And Salma Hayek. Yes. Um, Sorry. Then uh, the animated film Brave, which said it wasn't it wasn't a film about just strong female empowerment. There were creepy spells and kids were turned into animals and wasn't quite the Disney princess film f- people expected. If you remember Night of the Lepus. Oh, yes. I own Night of the Lepus on DVD. Wow. This is, this is the big response I get for this show. I love this show. Um, Night of the Lepus is uh, what gets us. Apparently it was originally called Rabbits. Mm. Not good. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, so I not mean, not. Yeah, I think families were were ticked off kind of about I'm t- that. I'm telling you, cheap horror films come to our house. We've we're, got- we're gonna do a remote from your house sometime fairly <laughs> soon. I like that. You guys, you know, you you have neither the Lepus with Watership Down for your uh, messed up <laughs> rabbit docu- double feature. Um, another writer wrote The Gray, which was not Liam Neeson. But it, it is Liam Neeson, but it's not taken in the wilderness. A lot of navel gazing. Um, and then three other titles that were brought up: Cabin in the Woods. Another, another brilliant, brilliant, great horror. twist. <laughs> it's it's a fun spoof of the dumb teenager slasher movies, yes. and then becomes Spam in a cabin, and then becomes much much more. <laughs> um, the Family Stone, which looks like every year you have the uh, big ensemble comedies of people getting together for either Christmas or Thanksgiving, and nobody gets along, but at the end they all get together. This is the one where uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is thrown into the fray. With her boyfriend, husband, fiance—I don't remember—but the parents are Craig T. Nelson, Diane Keaton, and Rachel McAdams is a sibling, and it's a much more mean-spirited film than the ad campaign gives up. But there will be those films coming out later this year. Um, Hail Caesar from the Coen Brothers, ladies and gentlemen. When there is a kidnapping in a Coen Brothers film, it's not about whether the person will be rescued or not. If you hadn't <laughs> figured this out yet from Fargo and The Big Lebowski, I can't help you. And Hail Caesar is a part of that. Um, so anyway, th- those were some that the writers came up with. And then I actually went down and looked through the comment section. AV Club comment sections are far more evolved than, say, YouTube <laughs> or Yelp, for that matter. So I guess I'll open it up to the panel, unless we want to just break down Night of the Lepus for the next eight and a half minutes, <laughs> of, of any bait and switch when it comes to, uh, when it comes to cinema. All right. I don't. I don't know if it's the best example of bait and switch, but if you've ever seen the film Tiptoes, yeah. Um, <laughs> my my dear colleague and, Richard Propes, the man <laughs> in the chair. Yeah, he he knows that film very well, and uh, actually was brought up in the AV Club's uh, My Year of Flops. I I love that in the trailer. The the literal way they choose to market this is Gary Oldman in a role of a lifetime. Like uh, if the this channel, is, this is the greatest thing he's going to get to do, which is crudely playing a midget by sitting on his knees. Like no attempts to cover this up. No, one of the worst movies ever. Wow! But they they build it like it was going to get the Oscar that year. You saw it in the theater. Oh gosh, no! I I bought it. Uh. I bought it for a dollar at a used DVD store because I I have. A love of buying the dollar terrible movies and was it worth it though absolutely it's like <laughs> the prize of my dvd shelf really it's it's pretty bad i, I mean if i collect bad movies i mean tiptoes is a good one to have <laughs> okay i'm not, I, I i you know what i I've, I've always seen it or i've i've seen it but haven't watched it i see it in stores occasionally i'll so. let you borrow it oh it's, my it's worth the watch and then we'll go to your house and watch the australian zombie stuff yeah I un- unfortunately I can't think of any bait and switch. All the movies that we have are un- they are what they apologetically are apologetically <laughs> terrible. <laughs> there is no bait and switch involved. Okay, that's fair enough. You know exactly what you're getting. You so. know what you're getting. Greg, do you have uh, Zoltan, Hand of Dracula? Have you seen that? Oh my no, gosh! Oh my gosh! Now we may have. My husband has racks of these things that oh. I refuse to watch. But. They live. <laughs> they of live. Of course they live. Of course they do. <laughs> Okay, what was what was the first schlocky date movie you had with your husband? Oh, quiz. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. It, it's well, don't worry, it's not so the new, it's not ago. the newlywed game. It's all right. <laughs> You're probably too young for for that to have been a Gordon Herschel Lewis. Uh, Rest in peace. Uh, he just we just talked about him on the show last week. Oh, yeah, because uh, he passed away. Uh, multiple two thousand maniacs, uh, the Gorgore Girls, Wizard of Gore, sixties um, blood. You should check. Yeah, sixties blood movie where. Um, 
God, the acting is really the acting makes makes the Hammer folks look like the National Theater Company. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, a lot of crudely made stuff. I think there's one. I can't remember which one it is, but I always remember um, somebody in a barrel. Somebody stick, drives nails through a barrel, and then the person is stuck in the barrel, and then they roll the barrel down a hill. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just got your movie, your date night set up for next yeah. week. So. <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> I, 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 like I said, I, uh, I dragged Miss Associate to a lot of stuff when we were recording, like uh, Entered the Dragon, and um, she saw wow. more Pam Greer movies than probably any human being mm. needs to see. I don't care. Um, but there was that point when we finally got married, and she uh, she walks into the room, and I'm watching coffee, and I went, "Honey, coffee's on." Just, and she goes, "Do I do I really need to watch this now?" I, I guess not. So, my no, the story with Tommy. Um, <laughs> I love Ken. Ken Russell's a lunatic. I love Ken yes, Russell. The man, the man. Whether it, it soared or it crashed, it was all him. It was never a studio messing with his sto- with his vision. It was all him. And uh, I was watching the DVD of Tommy. And as a as a young male, I you know, Anne Margaret has a special place in my heart. And and Lynn walks through and and sees her rolling around in baked beans and chocolate. And yeah, I didn't and write. And detergent. And detergent. Yeah. And Lynn just kind of <laughs> looks at the screen and is like, she got nominated for this, huh? <laughs> and I went, yeah. And she goes, hmm. Slow year, and <laughs> and that that was that. So, I, you know, I was watching because I just bought it. Two weeks later, um, I'm down in the living room, channel surfing. Lynn is in her bedroom, in our bedroom, and we're flipping through. And I and and Tommy's on on a movie channel, and and it's ten minutes before the, the scene. The scene. <laughs> and next thing I know, she pops her head. Up, Are you watching that again? And I'm like, No, <laughs> it's it's on TV. I swear it's. And no, that's the thing. Oh, my favorite scene of Tommy is uh, when they do the this, the preacher scene with Clapton. With Eric, the eyesight of the blind. Yes, and if you watch it, um, I can't remember if it's Pete or John. One of them's not wearing shoes because they refused to wear the actual costume that Ken Russell wanted them to wear. I would so bet. one member of the Who is not wearing shoes in that, and it makes no sense whatsoever. I'm gonna say that's. I'm gonna guess that's Keith. <laughs> I'm just gonna guess that. I think it, it was Peter John, and I want to say it was Pete. Okay. I think it was by the time that like Pete was just done with the Tommy movie. He's not too pleased with it. No. Can't imagine why. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> get that. Don't ask him. Don't ever ask him. And, so, and don't know how many takes it took uh, Keith Moon to have a, a raw egg in his pint. Oh, my God. Or as he liked to call it, breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I guess th- we've got a couple more minutes. While we're on Ken Russell, have you ever seen The Devils? No. Okay. It's on my <laughs> list. It, it's, it's, well, let's put it, Warner Brothers hasn't put it out in the States yet, and it's 2016. It's <laughs> 45 years later. Um, and it's, you know, Oliver Reed is a priest, and a crooked necked Vanessa Redgrave is a nun. And, um, yeah, I, I actually, I have a copy of this from, I, I got imported, and, uh, um, how should I put the naked nuns and things that are done with the crucifix? Um, no, not that, not the not the exorcist thing, but just um, borderline blasphemous stuff. No, okay, actual blasphemous stuff, but uh, <laughs> straight up yeah, straight up blasphemy. No, no there, it's a single entendre, but um, but it is one of his films that talk that pokes fun at organized religion. It's just not a uh, Life of Brian esque little romp, so. Um, anyway, and yeah, I, I still, I'm still waiting for the documentary of Oliver Reed and Ken Russell going and having lunch. Right. I want to know what his Oliver Reed obsession is because I, I never really love him in anything. Have you seen The Trap? No. Maybe, maybe I need to see that so I can love Oliver Reed. Oh. Well, he, <laughs> come on. The, the man has time. two musicals under his belt. So yeah, ponder that. <laughs> if you, if you want to call what he was doing singing. <laughs> Oh, and Bill Sykes. So, <laughs> uh, okay. There's also, if you get a chance, there's a book called Hellraisers: The Life and Inebriated Times of Richard Burton, Richard Harris, Oliver Reed, and Peter O'Toole. And you think of your worst night. That's tea time for these guys. And it's it's stories about their career as well as what nonsense they were doing as uh, 
as they were going on. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, um, we've got about a minute left, so you have plenty of titles. I hope you've been jotting down all the titles that we've been throwing at you, because we're going to go to your house and watch them. Um, once more, give the information as far as Bard Fest times and locations and website and all that. Uh, it's running October 13th through the 30th at uh, CTC Studio 15 stage up in Carmel. Um, Facebook.com slash BardFestIndie or UncannyCasey.Wix.com slash BardFest. Guys, thanks for hanging out. You guys have been very, you guys are really good sports, just like my wife. So have fun with the shows. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, go see, a, oh, here's some words to live by, final words to live by. Silent Green is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Go to Bardfest. You more than deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. Shut up! My God! You have no freaking life! Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off!